Okay, I know I've made a big deal in the past about hating the beach, about not wanting to go to the beach. I don't like the salt water. I don't like the animals in the salt water. I don't like the dirt. I don't like the things buried in the dirt. I don't like the sun. I don't like the people around me. I just don't enjoy beaches. And that is ocean beaches. That is large lake beaches. That is beaches in the north. That is beaches in the east. That is beaches in the south. Never been to beaches in the west. Can't give me an opinion on those. I just don't like beaches. But this is another beach book. And I figured instead of just offering a litany of complaints about beaches the way I usually do and then sitting smugly back in my chair and pretending like I recorded a good episode about the Berenstain Bears, I was going to look into what the deal was with beaches anyway. So let's hit it. Back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bear cast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez. Let's cut to the chase. 2005, an I Can Read book. That is right. We are we are exploring the depths of the books. The Berenstain Bears Seashore Treasure. The Berenstain Bears Seashore Treasure from 2005. This is an I Can Read book, in case you were starting to miss those. And it is an an I Can Read book. Not an I Can Read book, but an an I Can Read book trademark. Beginning reading level one, the Berenstain Bears Possessive S Seashore Treasure. We have a cover. Features Papa Bear, brother and sister, digging for treasure on a beach. They've got a treasure map. There is a sign Posted that says Pirate's Cove, a seagull perched atop said sign. At their feet are seashells. The drawing looks to have been done by Mike. I can't really tell. But the cover also tells you pretty much everything you need to know going into this. There is a Pirate's Cove. There are seagulls. There are seashells, brother and sister. And Papa Bear with a shovel wearing one of those old-timey one-piece men's bathing suits. The Berenstain Bears Seashore Treasure. And you know what? Just for you guys, I'm just going to keep saying treasure, even though that is not the way I pronounce treasure. I just like saying treasure. It sounds like the way someone pronounces treasure, but not me. I don't know who would pronounce it that way, but someone does, and I respect them. So yes, an I can read book or an I can read book. I, on the inside front page, it just says I can read. On the cover, it says an I can read book. I don't know which is right. I'm not going to do the research to find that out, but I am going to do a little bit of research. Why? Because as you can probably guess, this involves the bears going to the seashore. And it is the seashore. Uh, not just like a local beach, but it's the seashore. And we see the haunted lighthouse in the distance, but we also see... Uh, a bridge they're going over, and a nice extended bridge. It looks like they've, they've got across quite a few bodies of water, and we see a bunch of beach houses. There's a tavern. I bet you didn't expect to see a booze hall sales place in Berenstain Bear Country, but uh, they're in their Red Roadster. They're heading out, uh, and it's a nice... It, this it looks like a beach town. I've been through many beach towns because we would go to Galveston Beach when I was a kid, and you had to drive through the, the, beach, the beach locales, the places that cater to the tourists but where people actually live. Uh, so they're on their way to Laughing Gull Island, and it's called Laughing Gull Island because a lot of Laughing Gulls live there. And that is not me being a jerk. That is exactly what it says in the book. It was called Laughing Gull Island because so many Laughing Gulls lived there. Ha ha ha, cried the Laughing Gulls. And so I like it when the bears go out of town. I like it when they go and explore their environs. And I like it when this, when the book series says bear country, bear town, is not a landlocked area. They are near a beach, uh, an ocean beach, because these are, these are, 
I mean, this could be on a great lake, I assume. Now, this says seashore, not lakeshore. So they are, I mean, that's the name of the book, Seashore Treasure. So they are, they are not packed for a long vacation. They are packed uh, for a brief vacation. Uh, so they're close enough that they can drive there comfortably with the ragtop down so their hair can blow. Uh, but they get to a beach house, they unpack, they all get into their, their swimsuits, honeys with them for what it's worth. And they decide to go down to the beach. And Papa Bear finds in the closet, where amongst the, uh, the plates and the cups and the saucers and the bowls, he finds an old pirate treasure map. And he says, this says this place used to be called Pirate's Cove. Not Pirate Possessive-S Cove, but Pirate's Cove, like a cove full of pirates. It says that pirates, again, pirates, it says that pirates buried their booty here. <laughs> Which is the funniest thing I'll read all day. The next funniest thing I'll read all day is sister's response. What is booty, Papa? What is booty, Papa? And I read that when I was rereading this book. And it made me question my mind for a second. Because... I suddenly thought to myself, have I covered this book already? I explicitly remember reading the line, what is booty, Papa? And and making jokes about, laughing about booty. <laughs> laughing about sister saying, what is booty, Papa? And wondering, you know, like, just just why that is so funny. Like, why, it's, why is something like that so funny to to me why why do i find things like that amusing like obviously booty is in a reference to a pirate's buried treasure and then i realized that i had actually read this book to mitzi years ago and cracked up at it and then posted the picture of sister saying what's booty papa on the <laughs> on facebook so that was my long way of saying i have a history with these books that goes beyond uh, my podcast, and I probably thought to myself, I can't wait to get to this book on the podcast so I can say, what's Booty Papa? Uh, and he says, well, it's, it's it's treasure, pirate treasure, you know, gold, silver, diamonds, and rubies. And they're like, dang, really? We're going to find some booty? And he's like, let's go find out. So they go down to the beach with a shovel, and the seagulls laugh at them. So let me stop right there, because you're like, wait, I thought we were going to get some patented Phil Gonzalez research here. And... And for the purpose of this this episode, for the purpose of my research, uh, a lot of this information comes from a uh, Smithsonian Magazine article from a few years ago called Inventing the Beach, The Unnatural History of a Natural Place uh, by Daniela Blay, Bly, B-L-E-I. And I found this article fascinating because I was trying to, it, the, the question I went in with was, What's the deal with the beach? Why do people love the beach so much? And has the beach always been a place where we just sort of go and be there and enjoy it? And the answer to that, not surprisingly, is no. And why did it become what it is? The answer to that, not surprisingly, is uh, colonization and the British, because that's what that's what we do. We 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 discover previously discovered places. And then we uh, all go there and ruin it. So uh, so the idea is that the notion is that up until like the 18th century, the beach, like the sandy stretch of land that divides continent from ocean, 
was regarded with suspicion and disdain and uh, it wasn't a place you wanted to go. It, it, referring to the beach uh, in any capacity was usually referring to a negative thing. Uh, beaches where people got washed up. Beaches are where storms arrived. Beaches is where pirates arrived. Beaches are where invaders came from or where you encountered hostile uh, people for the first time upon arriving in a, in a, in a new land. Beaches were not a place you, you sought out. They were places you tried to escape from. And part of that was because they represented this liminal space. They were not land or sea. They were a transitional period and no one, a like a transitional area. And we are, as, as, as animals, tend to be uncomfortable in transitional areas. We don't like to stand in doorways or on staircases. Some people like to stand in doorways and staircases, and we tell them to get out of our way. But these transitional places in our lives represent ambiguity and represent uh, just not knowing where you really fit in, where you are. And so beaches are like the ultimate ambiguous zone also beaches are constantly shifting and changing like that's in their nature they are even if we didn't know it at the time they are they represent the continents being consumed or consuming other land masses this is where this is where change happens this is where subduction occurs and so being so beaches just weren't they weren't places people like to go to uh, in fact the, the expression on the beach used to mean like a person who was just kind of like lost and forgotten and had no no direction because you're in this sort of lost and forgotten area you're in the unluckiest place on earth the beach yeah you've you've been stranded but what happened was in the mid-18th century uh people who didn't really understand how medicine worked but considered themselves medical experts anyway started touting uh fresh air and exercise as cure-alls particularly for rich people uh, and remember, the Industrial Re Revolution was just starting to kick into gear in England. And so cities were getting even grosser than they usually were. And so people were like, we got to get healthy. We got to get healthy. We got to get healthy. And so they came up with, physicians came up with this idea of the, quote, restorative sea, which, which was like, if you go into the ocean, you dive into the ocean, which we've generally considered a bad thing to do. You go into the ocean, you're going to get better. It's going to invigorate you. It's going to make you feel like a new person. So you got to hit the sea. You got to go down to the sea. And so uh, in Scarborough, near York in England, uh, they established a resort. It's the first resort ever established there. And people would go to these resorts for all kinds of medical treatments. You name it, it was considered a cure-all. And after that, of course, art and literature started talking about the sea. And then philosophers started talking about the sea. And poets started talking about it as an amazing place, an emotional place, a turbulent place, but, a, a, but an overall positive place instead of the terrifying place that they used to imagine it have. And then they started saying that the beach is where you go to discover yourself. And then painters in the early, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, started painting uh, the sea from the shore. And in fact, the term seascape came from that period. Uh, the firm seascape doesn't appear in writing until 1804 because all of a sudden they were like, wait a minute, Let's paint the sea. It's pretty. And so gradually by the middle of the 18th or the early like the early mid 1800s, uh, the the ocean, the beach as a thing became a, a, a destination spot. And the railway started going to the beach and then all over uh, France and Italy and uh, Germany, like people started like heading into beaches. Um, 
And so, and so the beach stopped being a place to, to avoid and st- or to even just the most pass by and started becoming the end goal of your, of your trip, of your excursion. And as this happened, uh, people started destroying the beaches <laughs> because beaches are delicate. Beaches are not, uh, and beaches are already in a, in a transitional period. Be- beaches are constantly shifting because of, of, of just the way water works and the way edges of countries work. Um, and then as human beings started affecting their environment more and more, the beaches started getting ruined more and more. And what's interesting about that is, so beach preservation attempts started to occur. But you can't preserve a beach. Ultimately, beaches are meant to be washed away. So the more preservation attempts that have come into place, actually the more damage is happening to the surrounding environment. But what I didn't know, and this totally surprised me, is that half of the world's population lives within 60 kilometers or 37 miles of an ocean. Half the population. And in fact, over the last 30 years, coastal populations have increased 30%. So even though our oceans are washing away our beaches, and even though beachside property is constantly increasingly in threat of being destroyed, more people are moving there. In fact, beachside property is more like in demand now than it ever has been in history. So beaches are in danger of disappearing. At the same time, we're in danger of disappearing because we keep moving to beaches, which are not a good place to move. Stop moving to beaches. Move further inland. I live in Minnesota. It's pretty choice. So that's what we've done to beaches. So that is how beaches became this idea, this concept, this place to go. It started for health benefits and just ended up becoming a fashionable thing to do. And at the end of the day, beaches are still this weird non-place. There's something utterly unnatural about beaches that is totally natural. They are not meant to be existed upon because they are are nature's transitional space. But we do what we do. So all of this is a roundabout way of saying I am justified in not liking beaches. If I don't ever go to another beach again... I'm just doing my part to preserve the world, to save the planet. So Papa and the Cubs go off in search of buried treasure. And I'm going to tell you right now, they don't find it. Papa just keeps finding seashells. He finds a big and gray clam shell. He finds a bumpy and black oyster shell. Uh, And the Cubs aren't upset that he's finding all these shells. They keep collecting them. And Papa keeps looking for new spots to dig. He keeps digging and digging, and the gulls keep laughing and laughing. Uh, They find a scallop shell, which is pretty and pink. And then they're like, what are these shells for? And Papa's like, well, they're, they were the homes of sea animals. Uh, the clam shell was the home of the clam, the oyster of the oyster, the scallop shell home of the scallop. And uh, so Papa is lecturing about seashells, and he's digging. And they were like, what happened to the animals that used to live in these shells? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe the gulls got them. And he tries to dig, and he can't find anything. He's like, I just keep finding more and more shells. And he's like, and digging for treasure is really hard. I'm getting hot. The gulls are laughing at me. I'm I'm getting sick of the gulls. I'm I'm overheated, and this is this whole excursion has been a failure. And the cubs are like, what are you talking about? We came looking for treasure and we found it, the treasure of the sea. And sisters like, yeah, a whole bucket full. And then they dive in the water and they go rushing back to show their treasure to Mama. And Papa decides to put the treasure map back in the closet for the next person 
who comes by so that they can rediscover the treasures of the sea. It's a cute book. It's fine. Whatever. But what were the chances of Papa actually finding a treasure? What were the chances that this, that this map actually led to a treasure? That it actually had anything to do with a pirate treasure, with actual pirate's booty? That's the question. And I know that people have written in the past about the notion of pirate treasure. Do, were there really such things as buried treasure? Did pirates, as the question goes, really bury their treasure? And so I decided to look into it. I mean, obviously, if you ask this question and it gets answered in a forum, whether it's on a mental floss video, whether it's in a listicle, whether it's in one of them like your teachers taught you everything wrong kind of books that you buy when you're like in your 20s, you know the answer. No, there's no actual pirate buried treasure out there. It's, that's a myth. There was, however, a couple of pirate buried treasures that I that I that I was like, oh, I was actually surprised about this. The famous one that everyone talks about is is Captain Kidd. Captain William Kidd was a privateer, which if you're not familiar with the term, a privateer is uh, a pirate who works for the government. Uh, and he was a privateer who got tired of being a privateer, so he just became a pirate. And he would steal stuff he was a, he, he sort of hung around the indian ocean stealing stuff from people and in 1699 he lands in new york and he buried just millions of dollars in gold and jewels on gardener's island with the intention of coming back to get it but then he gets arrested while he's in boston and he gives up the spot where his treasure is buried. Uh, the authorities come. They capture all the treasure. And uh, that was it. The treasure was no longer buried. Captain Kidd. But, but the fact that Captain Kidd buried his treasure became widely known. It became kind of a one of those legends people talk about. And it wasn't helped by the fact that in 1820, this is one that I didn't know. In 1820... Uh, there was a British ship captain named William Thompson uh, who landed on Costa Rica's Cocos Island uh, and buried a haul of Spanish gold and jewels, and it was called the Treasure of Lima. Oh, so what happened was this. Uh, Spain defeated the Incas. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church got this big treasure that they, that they put in, in Lima, Peru. So this captain... William Thompson was put in charge of, of transporting the stolen riches, the captured riches. But he was like, I just want all this for myself. So he and his crew actually killed like the guards that they were supposed to be there piloting back to Mexico, killed them, threw them overboard. That's when he headed for Cocos Island. So it's the it's a it's a it's a it's a treasure from Lima. They got buried near Costa Rica. They were going to split up the treasure, and but then the guys who were like they just kind of like disappeared. Like a bunch of the guys were hung, hanged. Uh, Thompson and uh, his first mate escaped, and no one really knows what happened to them. Thompson, they think, went to like Canada, and the other guy went to California. Uh, but that's that's like it. So people have been searching for treasure. A lot of famous people have tried to find this treasure, but the Costa Rican government. Is like you can't treasure hunt near Costa Rica, so it's really hard for anyone to actually seek out this 
treasure. So that was another real buried treasure, perhaps. But what happened was then in 1883, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote the novel Treasure Island, which was about a giant hoard of pirate gold that a group of sailors are, are out seeking using a treasure map. X marks the spot. Long John Silver, Jim Hawkins, Talking Parrot. And this novel, Treasure Island, single-handedly, and the movie that was made of it by Disney, single-handedly defined for most people what pirates were, what they did, what their habits were. And one of those things was burying a treasure on a desert island and X marking the spot, even though the whole point of the book was that this was an unusual thing. Like, tri pirates didn't typically do this. That's why there was a treasure island. Like, wow, can you believe it? Tre treasure? Pirates? So it wasn't Robert Louis Stevenson. It wasn't called one of the treasure islands. Robert Louis Stevenson wasn't like, I need to write a book just about these things that are everywhere. No, it was like a treasure island. That's special. So Robert Louis Stevenson wrote Treasure Island, and suddenly everyone had it in their heads that pirates buried their treasure. Now, it is funny that Captain Kidd's burying of the treasure was off the coast of New York. So it's close to America. Like, the only one that we really know for a fact happened happened in North America. Like, so it's if, if any pirate treasure was going to be found by the bears, I guess it would be found in bear country. Uh, I don't know where they are in this book. They're they're near the shore, but that's that's about all I can say about that. And no, they were never going to find any gold. That's impossible. That's just not going to happen. But by, by this point, at, as far towards the uh, waterline as they were searching, there's no way like that. That treasure chest would have been washed away at some like at some point just it would not still be there after hundreds of years so sorry papa bear and your weird your weird striped swimsuit but you're not going to find any treasure today but what is what about the book itself what about the book uh it's fine it's fine it's fine it's nicely illustrated i do like the illustrations uh and you get to see some pretty shells they paint some pretty shells i mean the message is pretty clear that stop looking so hard for treasure there's treasure all around you and, and especially in the ocean sea at the ocean, there's a lot of treasure. It's called shells and animals and nature and stuff. You got to love that stuff. So uh, where does this book fall in the Berenstain Bears timeline? You know, because looking at the pictures now, the illustrations, brother and sister look a little younger. Like this book fits pretty well in the early reader books, like the pre-first time books, or maybe a little after the first time books. And I'm not going to lie to you. This is the kind of book that really would have impressed me when I was a kid. Like I was a sucker for like, the real treasure was inside us the whole time. Like I was a sucker for that. Like if you, if you if you did that to me in a book, I'd be like, dang, I didn't know literature could do this. I guess just how terrible of a reader I was. So yeah, I, I think maybe if your kids or anything like I was when I was a kid, and you want to get your hands on the Berenstain Bears seashore treasure, uh, go right ahead. Um, how though are you meant to go about doing that? Is the Berenstain Bears seashore treasure? an accessible book for the discerning reader? Well, I can answer that question. I can answer that by saying, yeah, uh, you can find it. It's still like, it's still published. It's still printed. You can order a paperback copy of the Berenstain Bear Seashore Treasure today, just for a few books, bucks, a few bucks for a book. Uh, you can also order it for your Kindle or however you want to get that book. You can also get the audio book of it which, I mean, it's a short audio book. It's like five minutes long. But if you, if you want to pay the buck and a half for it, go for it. 
get an audiobook of the Buried State Bear Seashore Treasure. I don't know how much entertainment that's going to get you, but hey, hey, it's like one of those books that they read to you. Like, turn the page, except your kid won't know when to turn the page they can't read but that is the berenstain bear seashore treasure that is a little bit of history of the seashore itself and a little bit of history of pirate booty uh if you've ever searched for pirate booty if you'd like to go to the seashore and dig if you have kids who like finding shells if you ever collected a shell let me know write to me at berenstainbearcast at gmail.com you can find me on twitter at bstainbearcast you can listen to me on uh, some of my other podcasts. I have a podcast called It's Del Toro Time, a Guillermo del Toro adjacent podcast that I do with my oldest child, Willow. Uh, where we have we discussed the movies of Guillermo del Toro. Then we discussed the movies that influenced Guillermo del Toro. Then COVID happened and we stopped being able to watch movies together. So now we're discussing David G. Hartwell's The Dark Descent, a collection of horror stories. Uh, we just started in on Call of Cthulhu. So if that's what you're into. You can listen to me and my child, Willow, talk about Call of Cthulhu. I also have a podcast that's nearing its end called Pizza Toast. It's a Babysitter's Club podcast where we discuss the Babysitter's Club Netflix series uh, that I do with my friend and guest of this show, Christy Admiral. Also, you can go to patreon.com forward slash deep in bear country, become a patron. And for as little as $1 a month, you get some bonus episodes. I have a whole slew of bonus episodes. I haven't updated it in about a month because I wasn't doing that, but I'm getting back into it. In fact, this week. If you want a special short bonus episode, I will be reviewing the Berenstain Baby Bears books. I've done a couple of them already in the main feed, but I will be continuing because I now I have, I'm holding them in my hands. I will be covering the the, the much loathed Berenstain Baby Bears books uh, all over on Patreon, starting with Berenstain Baby Bears Pacifier Days: A Fond Farewell by the Berenstains. So. Uh, join me over on patreon.com forward slash deep in bear country for as little as a dollar a month you get some bonus episodes uh, otherwise thank you so much for listening thank you so much for supporting and i'll see you all next time deep in bear country